This podcast has been prepared exclusively for institutional, wholesale, professional clients, and qualified investors only, as defined by local laws and regulations. Please read other important information, which can be found on the link at the end of the podcast episode. Good morning, and welcome to the 2020 Eye on the Market Outlook. This is Michael Sembalist. Hope everybody had a good holiday. Our 2020 outlook is entitled Ghosts of Christmas Past, and if you look at the cover, you'll see some of these ghosts, some of whom have returned from the past uh, based on their connection to certain themes that we're looking at in 2020. So you'll see FDR, Nixon, Thatcher, Hoover, Mao, the Pets.com sock puppet, and some other familiar historical figures on the cover, Uh, and we're going to walk through what all those connections are to our 2020 view uh, here's, the, here's the summary. Uh, after a really positive year for investors last year, we expect lower positive returns this year. Uh, we don't expect a global or U.S. recession, and we think that there's going to be a modest growth in profits rebound now that some of the worst-case trade outcomes looks like they're going to be avoided. Even so, uh, high valuations in equity markets, the reduced effectiveness of monetary easing, uh, the repricing of unprofitable companies, which is a process that's been underway for a few months, and rising corporate cost pressures will probably constrain uh, the equity market advance. And uh, what we're monitoring in terms of the two big risks that could cause problems for investors, one would be a a spike in inflation that forces the Fed to make a U-turn on policy rates, which we don't think is likely, but is is in the realm of the possible. And the second big risk, of course, is a comprehensive progressive restructuring of the U.S. economy after the 2020 election. The outlook itself, is composed of an executive summary of a few pages and then 10 special topics based on questions that our clients have been asking us. Uh, Here's an overview of some of the things you can expect to see in the outlook. We look at how uh, the trade war basically knocked back uh, global manufacturing, earnings, and capital spending from their 2018 peaks to be roughly flat uh, on a year-on-year basis by the end of 2019. So... uh, What's interesting about the U.S.-China trade war is actually that Europe and Japan bore the harsher brunt of it, given their larger reliance on exports and their precarious growth trends in the first place. And while there wasn't a GDP growth recession last year, there certainly was an earnings recession in the U.S., Europe, and Japan, meaning two consecutive quarters of negative growth. Uh, We do expect earnings to rebound in 2020, but that's priced into most equity markets. One of the reasons why we're optimistic about a growth in profits rebound next year is a, is a surge in coordinated central bank easing, which normally leads to a manufacturing boost seven to nine months later. And that includes emerging market central banks, which are now cutting rates uh, since emerging markets inflation is at an all-time low, about 35 to 4%, uh, which is an unrecognizably low number for those of us that worked in emerging markets in the 1980s and 1990s. Some of the evidence that there's an impact uh, from all this easing is a rise in global new orders now that the inventory overhang has, has been worked off and a rebound in global semiconductor sales. Um, now, to be clear, even after a U.S.-China phase one deal, there are significant trade and investment barriers that remain. The U.S. Department of Commerce is working on its entity restriction list and product export rules uh, to, to limit exports of emerging and foundational technologies. And so while U.S.-China trade flows may normalize, bilateral foreign direct investment will probably not. 
Uh, the Chinese are ramping up security regulations on hardware, software, and data. They have a new cryptography law, which uh, bans virtual private networks and requires all email and data transfer to be visible to China's Cybersecurity Bureau. Uh, the, the U.S. Senate is investigating the China Thousand Talents Plan, where it's been uh, accessing U.S. information uh, and intellectual property uh, via Chinese researchers studying in the U.S. and funded by U.S. taxpayers. So there's still a lot to go in the China trade war. I think the worst, uh, the worst case outcomes have been avoided, but I think we're in for kind of a low-level conflict for a period of years. And remember, Trump may still impose penalties on 110 billion of U.S. auto parts uh, and auto imports from Europe and Japan. Um, the U.S. is pursuing Section 301 investigations against France and, and probably now Italy for their digital taxes uh, on U.S. technology imports. Uh, and, um, and there may be European retaliation for U.S. tariffs on, on European goods as a function of the whole Airbus thing. So the worst case outcomes in the, in the trade war have been avoided, but there are still quite a few conflict issues left. Um, the, 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 the foundation of our optimism for 2020, however, particularly in the U.S., is based on the strength of the U.S. consumer. Um, U.S. consumption is close to its highest share of overall global GDP since 2008. In other words, just the, the output and activity and demand coming from U.S. consumers uh, is, is at its highest level relative to all activity going on in the world uh, since 2008. And uh, U.S. consumers are still pretty optimistic. Um, Service sectors that make up a large share of the economy are doing much better than manufacturing. And most measures of wages, labor markets, household debt, consumer delinquencies, and housing look pretty good. That said, it's pretty clear from the data why Trump was trying to find a way out of this trade war. U.S. manufacturing employment growth has weakened sharply since the trade war started. And now the service sectors... Uh, that are most exposed to manufacturing are seeing employment growth slow as well. And um, uh, when you look at falling trucking employment on a year-on-year -year basis now, and you're looking at a pretty large spike in farm loan delinquency rates and bankruptcies, uh, it's pretty clear why the president was trying to find a way out of this uh, trade war. Um, from a valuation perspective, valuations are high. They have been for a while, and that certainly didn't prevent um, of great returns in 2019. The difference was from 2009 to 2018, the market advance in the U.S. was mostly a function of earnings growth, whereas last year it was almost exclusively or entirely a function of multiple expansion. So another year of multiple expansion doesn't seem that likely to me. Earnings growth would probably have to be the primary driver of whatever market advances we get. And we're also starting to see cracks in risky and poorly underwritten investments, whether that has to do with the energy sector, um, technology IPOs that aren't really technology IPOs. Uh, there's been a spike in weakest link companies that have very low ratings. Uh, and then one of the things that we do uh, in detail in this piece is we take a look at what we call the yucks, which is it stands, it's an acronym, it stands for Young Unprofitable Companies uh, that have negative net income but rapid sales growth and have been around for less than five years. And uh, we, we go into some detail here showing that since the, the, we're at the highest level of these yucks as a percentage of both market cap and corporate spending uh, since the year 2000. 
um, and if investors tire of financing these yucks, which I think is part of what's happening, as you see in the IPO markets, uh, the consequences for growth and large, tech, large cap tech profits could be material. Uh, that said, um, the very slow pace of net U.S. equity supply should mitigate any, any downside in the next sell-off, uh, whether it takes place with or without a U.S. recession. And as a reminder, we had a 20% sell-off in December 2018, followed by the fastest bear market recovery on record over the next 100 days. So um, we live in a world where, it's, where it's, you can always have a, a sharp drawdown, but in, in, in our view, the supply-demand dynamics of the U.S. equity markets right now suggests that uh, any corrections like that would, would be uh, rapidly recovered rather than the much longer drawdowns that took place in the past. And you know, the big risk for 2020, obviously, we discussed earlier, one it is a pickup in U.S. wage or price inflation that makes it clear that the Fed has made a mistake in cutting rates to zero again. And uh, the, the new thinking from the Fed about policy rates estimates that the natural real rate of interest, in other words, the policy rate in excess of inflation, doesn't have to be 2 to 3% the way it used to be. It can be less than 1%, and right now it's almost zero. So uh, any unexpected resurgence in inflation uh, could cause real problems in terms of uh, indicating that the Fed's offside. Um, I think that's less likely. The other thing that we're more focused on is a progressive overhaul of the U.S. economy after the election, uh, which we go into detail about in this piece. But let me just summarize it as follows. In, in the Great Depression, U.S. unemployment reached 22%, and FDR um, raised annual federal tax receipts um, by somewhere between 35 to 4% of GDP. Elizabeth Warren's proposals, as, as an example, uh, increases taxes two and a half times the FDR tax increases to fund this progressive restructuring of the economy. And I think there could be a variety of unanticipated consequences uh, for investors, particularly given proposed bans and restrictions on stock buybacks, increased corporate tax rates, sector-level collective bargaining, and a bunch of other things like that. Um, and, you know, the, the history suggests that um, Trump should be reelected on paper, right? So we, a lot of you have seen our chart before. Since 1896, um, no president has lost with strong economic tailwinds with the exception of, of Taft. And, uh, and that was back in 1912. All of the other incumbent presidents that lost did so at a time uh, where the market and economic scores uh, were below 0.5. And we have a chart in here that shows that. And, and we have these scores that go back to 1896 that incorporate things like inflation and employment and unemployment, uh, changes in unemployment per capita GDP, equity markets, home prices. Um, and uh, on paper, it looks like Trump should be reelected quite easily. He's got the strongest tailwinds for an incumbent over the last 120 years. Now, the counterpoint to that is that a lot of those tailwinds were in place uh, in the midterm elections, and the GOP lost a very large number of seats uh, at a time of strong market and economic conditions. Um, based on some rough math, I would have expected them to lose somewhere between 8 to 12 seats, and they ended up losing 40. So. There are obviously other factors driving the electorate right now 
other than pure market and economic data. So, um, so to sum up, um, we think next year looks like a year of a global recovery in, in profits and in economic growth. <coughs> Valuations are pricing most of that in already. Uh, and uh, there are a couple of exogenous risks, one of which is related to an inflation surge in the U.S., which I think is unlikely, and the other one is a progressive restructuring of the economy after the election, which is too close to call right now. In the remainder of the outlook, uh, we answer 10 questions we've been receiving from clients as we head into 2020. The questions include things like, why don't I think there'll be a recession in the U.S. next year? Uh, what are the greatest risks to investors in credit markets when the next recession does happen? Uh, why do U.S. equity markets keep outperforming Europe and Japan year after year after year? By the way, we expect them to again in 2020. Uh, how is China doing at a time of trade conflict and what are the implications for emerging market investors? Uh, why is U.S. inflation dead? Um, what are negative interest, negative interest rates doing to European banks? Uh, will value, stops, value stocks ever stop underperforming growth? They actually did for a couple months last year. Uh, what are the greatest risks to markets from a possible progressive overhaul of the economy? Uh, what's going on in U.S. IPO markets? And a final section on the most interesting breakthrough that I learned about in 2019. With respect to the progressive overhaul, we go into quite a bit of detail on the progressive agenda as it relates to taxation, uh, corporate profits, labor markets, healthcare, energy, student debt, uh, trade, um, uh, as well as energy, technology, uh, and then a couple of comments on these new Pillar 1 proposals in the OECD where they intend to tax digital, cons digital services where they're consumed rather than where they're created. And so uh, I think those are very important trends to focus on, particularly since the tech sector, which has really been driving the markets in terms of earnings growth and multiple expansion, are the ones that benefit from almost the lowest effective tax rates by sector and have the highest uh, foreign revenue exposure by sector. So a change in U.S. or foreign tax policy uh, would have a pretty big impact on the tech sector. In any case, um, uh, take a look. The Outlook is available as of right now uh, on the Internet, and you can read the whole thing or you can read individual sections of it. And I look forward to seeing many of you in my travels early in the new year. Michael Semblis, Eye on the Market, offers a unique perspective on the economy, current events, markets, and investment portfolios, and is a production of J.P. Morgan Asset and Wealth Management. Michael Semblis is the Chairman of Market and Investment Strategy for J.P. Morgan Asset Management and is one of our most renowned and provocative speakers. For more information, please subscribe to the Eye on the Market by contacting your J.P. Morgan representative. If you'd like to hear more, please explore episodes on iTunes or on our website. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only and is a communication on behalf of J.P. Morgan Institutional Investments Incorporated. Views may not be suitable for all investors and are not intended as personal investment advice or as solicitation or recommendation. Outlooks and past performance are never guarantees of future results. This is not investment research. Please read other important information which can be found at www.jpmorgan.com forward slash disclaimer dash EOTM.